Hello, I'm John Cameron, and welcome to Musicology. I don't think I really want anything to be perfect. I mean, I think it's important that things are flawed. That's what makes a piece of art interesting sometimes, is the bit that's wrong, or the mistake that you've made that's led on to an idea that you wouldn't have had otherwise. So I think, you know, perfection is something that it's not particularly something that you want. Kate Bush is as much an indisputable enigma as she is a musical genius. Having showcased her unique voice and bewitching choreography from her first two albums, her most innovative work would take place during the 80s, on the albums Never Forever, The Dreaming, and her best-selling Hounds of Love in 1985. On these, her co-producing would be more heavily involved. There does come a point where you feel, okay, Whatever it is that I wanted to say, and I'm not sure what that was, I've said it. This is here in a form that is complete and good enough. I do get far too obsessive. With the advent of drum machines and the revolutionary Fairlight synthesizer, her eclectic compositions could be realised, matching that of her lyrics, concepts and vocals. Even when utilising real instruments such as incorporating didgeridoos, mandolins and yulin pipes, the results were equally as enchanting, a menagerie of sonic diversity. You're surrounded by technology and you've got this multi-track there, so you just put all your ideas straight onto tape and move on to the next thing. Whereas when you're actually writing something and keeping it in your head, each time you play it through, there'll maybe just be a subtle change here and there, and it gave me a feeling of uh, a little more confidence. While the chart success and singles of Hounds of Love would continue into mid-1986 and a duet with Peter Gabriel would be released in October, fans would have to wait until 1989 before receiving a full album which would be The Sensual World. After that, four years would pass until the release of The Red Shoes. I'd love to be able to make an album in eight weeks, but I know I couldn't, and that if I did, I just don't think I would be happy with it. What's remarkable about these albums is that in 2011, selections from each would be re-recorded and reconfigured into Director's Cut, a cohesive album which easily stands on its own, not replacing the source material. It was just the idea of really taking tracks off both those albums and seeing if I could make them sound the way that I would now, if I were doing them now. It's impossible to focus on the late 80s to early 90s period without making reference to their modern versions. Telling stories is the kind of buzz for me, really. Although, obviously, my life does seep into my work, it would be impossible for it not to. I don't think I could say really any of my work is 
autobiographical. Most of it is, you know, a kind of made-up story, but I'm putting experiences that I've had into it. The whole thing is such an elusive process. In early 1987, Kate was sent a work print of the upcoming John Hughes romantic comedy film She's Having a Baby, with the intent of contributing a song for a specific scene. It's just about this young guy falls in love with a girl, marries her. He's still very much a kid. She gets pregnant. It's all still very light and childlike until she's just about to have the baby. And um, the nurse comes up to him and says it's in a breached position and that they don't know what the situation will be. So while she's in the operating room, he has to sit and wait in the waiting room. And it's a very powerful piece of film where he's just sitting, thinking. And this is actually the moment in the film where he has to grow up. God, you can come. I stand outside this woman's work, this woman's world. Oh, it's hard on the man. Now his part is over. This woman's work is such a significant piece in Bush's discography. It touches on universal emotions and regrets, even though Kate has been clear that its makings were inspired purely from the film. One of the quickest songs I've ever written, it was so easy to write. We had the piece of footage um, on video, so we plugged it up so that I could actually watch the monitor while I was sitting at the piano, and I just wrote the song to these visuals. It was there, it was almost a matter of telling the story. It's amazing to think it came from a place of just scoring a scene. This speaks to Kate's incredible ability to write for the characters manifested in her mind or in someone else's. Years later, when she would radically alter the composition and performance of her vocals, herself as herself were as removed as when she first wrote those powerful lyrics.
The song was complete almost a year before the film would be released, and despite its feature in the film's soundtrack, it would have its place on her next project that following year, the sessions of which would continue on from this period. I feel this is probably my most female as well, in that I've explored female energies in myself as a writer-producer, that before I've really just done what I've seen all the guys doing, because really everything I've learned in the music industry about making records has been from men. And it occurred to me, more in hindsight than at, at the time, that a lot of what I was doing was very male-influenced. And um, I just wanted to try and find a female energy for myself. Not that there's anything negative about male energy in music, because... Uh, it's great, you know. Just um, was looking for a, a female approach, I guess. Inspired by Siobhan McKenna's reciting Soliloquy of Molly Bloom from James Joyce's book Ulysses, Kate set out to match the latter part of the 29-minute monologue to music. They might as well try to stop the sun from rising tomorrow. The sun shines for you, he said, the day we were lying among the rhododendrons on Hoth Head, in the grey tweed suit and a straw hat. Day I got him to propose to me. Yes. First I gave him a bit of seed cake out of my mouth, and it was leap year like now. Yes. Sixteen years ago. My God. After that long kiss, I nearly lost my breath. Yes, he said I was a flower of the mount. Yes, so we are flowers all. A woman's body. He said I was a flower of the mountain. Yes. further context, the focus character in the piece, Molly Bloom, is embarking on an affair to spite her husband. Originally the lyrics of the song were taken from um, the book Ulysses by James Joyce, the words at the end of the book by uh, Molly Bloom, and um, we couldn't get permission to use the words. I tried for a long time, probably about a year, and they wouldn't let me use them. I had to then actually create something that sounded like those original words had the same rhythm, the same kind of feel, but obviously not being able to use them. Um, and so it all kind of turned into this pastiche of it, and that's why the, the book character Molly Bloom then steps out into the real world and becomes one of us. would reflect more sensuality of what's around us, an experience uncharted for any book character, formerly limited by the environments and possibilities of those they were once trapped in, now exploring the sensual world. 
when I put the rose in my hair like the Andalusian girls used. Oh, shall I wear a red? Yes. And how he kissed me under the Moorish wall, and I thought, well, as well, he was another, and then I asked him with my eyes to ask again, yes. And then he asked me, would I, yes, to say, yes, my mountain flower. And first I put my arms around him, yes, and drew him down to me so he could feel my breasts all hurting, yes, and his heart was going like mad. And yes, I said, yes, I will, yes. Her original version would finally see fruition in 2011's Director's Cut, having then received permission from Joyce's estate. This version would be retitled Flower of the Mountain. When I'd approached for permission, I was refused. Of course, I was very disappointed and had to kind of go away and rewrite my own lyrics, which they were okay, but, you know, I'm, I'm not James Joyce, and so the idea was never as interesting as the original. So coming back to this project, I had the chance to just ask again because they could only say no again. I just can't believe that I was given permission. I, I'm, I'm still over the moon about it. And then I asked you with my eyes to ask again. Yes. And then he asked me would I. Yes. To say yes. My mountain flower. And first I put my arms around him, yes, and drew him down to me, so he could feel my breasts, oh perfume, yes, and his heart was going like mad. Bush's sound would be forever evolving. She was never afraid to try new styles or genres. The most apparent on the sensual world would be the contributions of Bulgarian vocal ensemble Trio Bulgarka. They're three of the greatest female singers in Bulgaria and they've been singing together for 20 to 30 years. Uh, I've never really worked with such hard-working professional people. And I've never worked with women before on that level either, which I found fabulous. It was very exciting for me, working with women creatively. Most definitely, Rocket's Tale shows the trio off the most. And uh, sometimes when they're singing, if you're in the same room with them when they're singing, you can hear the air cracking. You know, it's like there's so much harmonic information in their voices. With Kate's insatiable curiosity, her genre-pushing endeavours would be auspicious. Trio Bulgarka's background vocals would feature on three songs for this album, including Rocket's Tale, and three songs on the next. While her compositions were profoundly forward-thinking, her lyrics were very much in the moment. Dressed as a rocket on a 
Floyd's David Gilmore, who was essentially responsible for showcasing Kate Bush to the world, would contribute his guitar for several short, screeching solos. I wrote this for the trio, really, musically, in that I wanted a song that could really show them off. The other two songs that they appear on were already structured and in a way they had to very much fish around the song structure to become a part of it. With this song, the whole song was based around them. I wrote it on a synthesizer with a choir sound. I had no idea if their voices were going to work on it at all, really. So the whole thing um, hung on the fact of whether when we went out to Bulgaria, whether it worked or not. And the arranger that we worked with out there, He's such a brilliant man. He seemed to know exactly what I wanted. And really just um, after a few hours, he was just coming up with the most incredible tunes. And I just had to say, um, oh yes, I like that one. Uh, no, I'm not too keen on that one. And he'd just uh, go away and write it out. I think the fact that we didn't speak the same language made our communication much easier. It, I mean, I've never worked like that before so quickly with someone I've never met before. It's really exciting to find that kind of chemistry. Kate Bush has always touched on aspects of life and society less explored by other singers. But one track on the sensual world would border on being prophetic. Is the people here go colder? I turn to my computer Spend my evenings with it like a friend I was loading a new program I had ordered from a magazine Are you lonely? Are you lost? This voice comes from the most Remember this is a song from 1989, possibly written within the years before. At this point, roughly 15% of households in the United Kingdom and the United States owned a computer and even less with internet access. This is about the modern situation where more and more people are having less contact with human beings. We spend all day with machines, all night with machines, you know, all day you're on the phone, or all night you're watching telly, press the button, this happens, you can get your shopping from the CFAX, you know, it's like, 
this long chain of machines that actually stop you going out into the world. It's like more and more humans are becoming isolated and contained in their homes. someone who spends all their time with their computer. This person sees an ad in a magazine for a new program, a special program that's for lonely people, lost people, puts it in their computer and then like pew! So it turns into this, this big voice that's saying to them, Bush would realise her initial vision for the song in its later form, having her son Bertie re-record the computer section, replacing her own vocals. program that's the idea and he has a lovely voice but unfortunately we completely ruined it by <laughs> computerizing it I thought it somehow made it more poignant for it to be the voice of a child yeah and when um, I originally recorded the track there was no kind of technology you could use to really get a decent sounding computerised voice apart from a vocoder. Yeah. So back then what I did was bank up lots of backing vocals and a vocoder. Um, so there was more of a sense of a, a, a sort of group entity, yeah. which wasn't really what I wanted. I wanted to have a single voice. So it was the sense of this being that was coming out of the, the computer programme. Yeah. So again, that was a nice thing to be able to just kind of redo and, and, and make it more this kind of solo benevolent spirit that was coming right. through the computer. It is more relevant now in a way. When I first wrote it, I was spending a lot of time with computers in the studio environment. And I think even then there was this sense that computers would have to become a much bigger part of our lives. It, you know, it's obvious really. And, and so of course they have. Never Be Mine is underrated. Perhaps it's the most universally emotive track on the album, and that is acknowledging the frequent strong themes of love in a broader context. Upon the album's release, she said, it's the whole thing of how, in some situations, it's the dream you want, not the real thing. It was pursuing a conscious realization that the person is really enjoying the fantasy and are aware that it won't become a reality. So often you think it's the end you want, but this is actually looking at the process that will never get you there. I just felt that 
You know, there were elements where the tracks sounded a bit dated and um, some of the production was a bit busy. And it was just so interesting because I thought it would be a really quick and easy album to make. And actually, it was very difficult and very intense because I was singing the songs now as the person I am now. And I hadn't expected that to be at all difficult, but it was. And the only way I could get back into the tracks was to lower the key. And once I did that, it was like, it was like putting a key into a door that could then open. And from that point onwards, to me, it felt like I was just working on, on new material. And um, when I think of that album, I think of it as, as a new album, even though the songs are, um, you know, quite old. Get you and see my life that might have been your face just ghostly in the smoke, setting fire to the cornfields as you're taking me home. The smell of The track is clearly significant to Kate. While it would yet be another re-recording for the director's cut, it would also be considered for her 2014 concert residency Before the Dawn. It didn't make it into the show itself, but she did mix a rehearsal recording in with the live album that resulted. This would be the only track featured from the sensual world considered for her first concerts in 35 years. I want you as the dream Back over my shoulder You're happier without me This is what I want This is where I want to be This is what I want This is where I need to be It doesn't matter who you are or what you've accomplished. Some of your dreams will never be realised. Knowing when to start and when to stop is the first step in prioritising your aspirations, including your relationships with other people. This will I'm 
breaking away from the tied-together narratives of her last album, The Sensual World is a series of ten individual stories that remain engrossing with each listen. Her subtle incorporation of different genres and collaborators ensured a noted musical progression in her catalogue, along with the lyrical complexities that make all of her albums an adventure to analyse. Aside from the revamp of this woman's work, the other three tracks that would later feature on the director's cut wouldn't deviate too far from their originals. This seems to suggest a level of satisfaction on Kate's part, at least in comparison to the project that followed. The time between Kate Bush albums would continue to grow. Her next release would occur four years after The Sensual World, although there were plentiful B-sides and non-album tracks for fans to savour during that time. Have you been now beavering away in the potting shed for your next project? Yes, I have. We've been working for about uh, two to three years on this album that's coming out. And it's taken a long time. It's very intense work, really, being sort of shut away in a studio. The next full album, inspired by her favourite film, The Red Shoes would be released in November of 1993. Well, it, it is very much connected with the film. Um, I was lucky enough to meet Michael Powell, the director of The Red Shoes, before he died. And um, he was such a sweet man. He was really sweet. I thought one of Britain's best directors. And um, he had a very strong effect on me. He was a very sweet man and uh, he seems to have popped up in two or three of the songs that are on the album. A lot had happened in her life during the years since the previous album. Her long relationship with engineer Del Palmer had ceased, although they would still continue to work together. Her mother had passed away a year before and she lost others under a multitude of tragic circumstances. The thing was that all the songs had been written before my mother got ill, mm. so you know, it wasn't that um, the songs were written, no. you know, from that sense of loss. But I suppose the mood and, and, and everything that was happening to you couldn't help but infect and infuse the emotion going into that. Yes, probably, yes. Yeah, and I wondered whether then, now, with some distance on that, you, you know, I could, this made perfect sense in a way, that you could sort of look at those songs with perhaps more clarity now. Yeah, I mean, I think that's also true, the songs of Sense Your World. Right. These sessions would show a clear reflection of her feelings and accumulated relationships over the years. Bush once reflected, I can't think of a song of mine that isn't a character. They're all written in character. For much of The Red Shoes, it seems that the character is Kate Bush herself. Another big change would be the sound. Having not performed a live show since 1979, she would ensure that the sound of the Red Shoes would be more replicable in a live setting, as that was the intention post-release. A prime example of this new band-sounding arrangement would be the lead single, Rubber Band Girl.
album opener. Its production is full borderline funk with a searing rock vocal, something Kate was well suited for. But it's also indicative that this wasn't the same Kate Bush we had heard on The Sensual World or Hounds of Love or The Dreaming. While the single would peak at number 12 on the UK singles chart, it would also see some success in the United States, but for different reasons. Girl US mix is significantly different. While the vocals are clearer, which is a treat in itself, the mostly new instrumental strips away any eclectic charm that Kate Bush had built up since the beginning of her career. It's almost remarkable that this was allowed to happen. While not essential, the US mix is a certain oddity in her catalogue, not resembling any production before or since. This version would be produced by DJ Eric Kuffer. As Kate would later reflect, the original rubber band Girl was, well, it's a fun track. But the Red Shoes would have so much more to offer. Some moments that I've had Some moments of pleasure a song of reminiscent sadness, but as much celebration, Moments of Pleasure would be the third single released from the album. I think about us lying, lying on a beach somewhere. I think about us diving, diving off a rock into another moment. While certainly a song with a sentiment that anyone can relate to, its specific references are what makes it interesting. The veracity of all of these connected stories are questionable, but they are an attempt to polish all facets of this beautiful gem. While there are numerous speculations about George the Wipe, a prominent theory is that during a 1981 session for her The Dreaming album, a tape-op named George somehow managed to wipe or destroy a tape for a song she had just recorded. This has never been confirmed officially, but if true, the song would suggest she took it with good humour. The case of George the was a guitarist that had collaborated with Kate on her last four albums, and was also a part of her band in the late 70s. He passed away in 1989, having been weakened by AIDS and catching pneumonia. He was 35.
While he does receive a more direct reference towards the end of the song, this next section is postulated to be about him as well. Pictures of a young Douglas Fairbanks and Alan Murphy seem to bear a slight resemblance. On a balcony in New York It's just started to snow He meets us at the lift Like Douglas Fairbanks Waving his walking stick But he isn't well at all The buildings of New York Look just like mountains through the snow Just feel It could really hurt And these moments given Are a gift Yeah, yeah. So was that something that she said a lot when you were growing up? No, I think she only ever said it once. Oh, right. But I thought it was such a great phrase. And when I played it to her, she thought it was hilarious. She couldn't <laughs> stop laughing. She just... It's <laughs> what do we take from that, then? That everything finds its way home eventually, or everything, everything or everybody finds the place they're supposed to be in the world? Well, yes, I think you take it however you want. That's kind of, you know, what poetry and... All pieces of art, even if it's just a little phrase like that, are meant to do, aren't they? But I suppose I'd always taken it as everyone finds the person they're meant to be with eventually. The 2011 version would be a complete re-recording, with no strings. Just Kate and her more matured vocal, along with some additional background vocals to add more complexity to the sparse instrumental. Bush continues the roll call of important people in her life, past and present. Gary Hurst, a.k.a. Bubba, a collaborating dancer. Hey there, Bubba, dancing down the aisle of a plane. Smurf was a nickname for Alan Murphy. Smurf, playing his guitar John Barrett, a.k.a. Teddy. Hey there, Teddy. An engineer on her early 80s albums. Spinning in the chair at Abbey Road. Michael Powell, director of Kate's favourite film, The Red Shoes. Hey there, Michael. Don't you really love me? Did you really love me? The Red Shoes would certainly offer some new classics in the Bush catalogue, while maintaining Kate's usual quirkiness. Although Rubber Band Girl was the lead single in the rest of the world, 
For the United States, their first introduction to the new album would be Eat the Music, and it's indisputably a strange one. Madagascan sway and peculiar lyrics, with fruit metaphors somehow relating to making a man show his love more, has a certain element of charm. But for many, the song itself is regarded as a low point on the album. that do enjoy it, the single would offer an extended mix, lasting 9 minutes and 20 seconds. Unfortunately, it doesn't offer any fruit metaphors that aren't present on the album, but it does take the instrumental through a series of breakdowns and build-ups. For those that would prefer less, a radio edit is also available. Eat the Music would not be remade for director's cut. And I think with Red Shoes, one of the problems for me was that it was done at a time when digital equipment was state-of-the-art. Right. So everyone felt this was what you had to use because it was so fantastic and flawless. And, yeah. and I think, you know, I don't really like the sound from digital. I, I'm a big fan of um, analogue tape. And, right. And the warmth and fullness that you get from that. Right, yeah. I mean, at the time, you know, I was pleased with it, but mm. when I've heard odd tracks, I've thought, oh, you know, it does sound a bit edgy. And I suppose also with both albums, maybe there's elements of the production that, either sound a bit dated or perhaps a bit cluttered here and there. So, you know, I wanted to just kind of take the songs and keep the best performances from the musicians, some yeah. of which are fantastic on those albums, yeah. and um, just, you know, kind of let the songs and the performances shine. Perhaps the most glaring example of excellence overshadowed by dated production is Lily inspired by friend and spiritual healer Lily Cornfield, who opens the song with a Gayatri mantra variation, the song's heavy bass line and immersive guitar and synth mix is severely let down by thin-sounding drums. O thou who givest sustenance to the universe, from whom all things proceed, to whom all things return, unveil to us the face of the true spiritual sun, hidden by a disk of golden light, that we may know the truth and do our whole duty as we journey 
to thy sacred feet. dramatic vocal is, as always, engaging, along with guest vocalist Misha Paris, but the director's cut version would arguably be a significant improvement. vocal would be just as great as the original, despite drop down a semitone, and the rhythm section with its new drums would be accentuated, as the reverb on the rest of the instruments would be minimised. perfect amendments made to the track, the definitive version is undoubtedly the live before the dawn performance. Based off of the 2011 re-recording, every part of the song is appropriately metered with the entirely live vocal performance from both Kate and a handful of background singers maintaining downright perfection. Despite its lacking initial recognition and delivery, Kate transformed it into an amazing production, worthy of opening her live comeback residency to collective acclaim. Another song that would receive a stunning update to its original, in both its 2011 and live versions, would be Top of the City, progressively with each revision.
Like many others, the benefit comes from the newly refined rhythm section and, especially in the live performance, Kate's incredible vocals, delivering her consistently vivid lyrics. While the Red Shoes marked for many a low point in her catalogue, what has become evident, especially with Director's Cut, is the amount of potential these songs had, marred by the production at the time. It's also a testament to Kate Bush as an artist, capable of acting out songs written two decades earlier, delivering an arguably superior performance. Put me up on the angel's shoulders The sensual world or the red shoes may not harbour the enchantment of her albums in the 70s or the innovation during the 80s, they do maintain a consistent quality of songwriting and composition, with enough of Kate Bush's uniqueness to satisfy anyone in the pursuit of an amazing catalogue of music. Put me up on the angel's shoulders. Thank you for listening to John Cameron's Musicology. If you've enjoyed the show, please consider rating and reviewing on iTunes or sharing on social media.